It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. So you want your charity to succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern-day fundraising success. And practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect place to learn from experts around the world who, along with our host, provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books cover a broad range of topics from major gift fundraising to use of social media and how to succeed online. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you maneuver through this economic downturn in the charitable sector to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. Remember, this is a live call-in show. Become part of the show by adding your voice. Call now at 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Just click on radio links. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome here to Washington, D.C. for our very special edition of The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. This is a 90-minute session coming to you live from the Blackboard BBCon conference. You can hear some of the background noise. For those of you who may be new to The Nonprofit Coach, as our uh, announcer said, you can call in to 347-324-3080 to ask a question of one of our page two experts. We have several of those uh, today. Uh, as always here on the Nonprofit Coach, we do start with page one news. We're coming to you live now at Tuesday, October 4th, live from BBCon. <laughs> up here on page one news and you can always follow along at tedhart.com click on radio links comes to us from the harvard business review the question here is are board members rocket fuel or rocks well our wonderful uh, author here from the harvard business review gives you five things that an independent director can do to contribute to making the boardroom dynamic and productive read all about it at tedhart.com click on radio links Next up here on page one news comes to us from socialbright.org. Socialbright has got actually one of the best tutorials I have seen on creating a Facebook page from scratch. This comes to us from John Hayden, uh, and this is a step-by-step video that you can watch right on your desktop on starting a Facebook page for your organization. Check it out today in the radio links at tedhart.com. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, we often uh, here on page one have an opportunity to welcome some of our friends uh, here to the Nonprofit Coach uh, to introduce some of their work. And over on Frog Loop, which is uh, the blog put together by Care2 Nonprofit Marketing Blog, 
Uh, today we have Allison Capen joining us. Allison, thank you for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Hey, Allison, you've got a terrific post that I wanted you to come on uh, and tell us a little bit about um, regarding Facebook data uh, and uh, how we can uh, analyze uh, Facebook. Tell us a little bit about Facebook metrics that nonprofits need to know. Sure, absolutely. So um, there was uh, some great studies in uh, the nonprofit uh, sector over the last uh, few months uh, that I just think has some really great data. Um, I'll just go through some of those uh, brief stats here on the show. So on average, um, nonprofits studied had um, 110 Facebook fans per 1,000 people that were on their email list. And uh, what was also really interesting is, you know, we're, we're so into growing our, our Facebook pages um, as nonprofits, but what was really interesting to note here was that the study revealed that even though people are liking your page, that doesn't mean people are actually engaging with your content on the page. And the study found that um, per 1,000 users who were actually liking your page, the, the – um, the interaction rate was pretty low at only four to seven per day. And um, of course, looking at Facebook's algorithms, the more likes or comments you receive on your post, the more likely that they will show up for more users. Um, and the responses ranged anywhere from 0.2% to 0.19%. And then another study that, that came out that we wrote about on Frog Loop um, was recently uh, using third-party apps like Hootsuite to post Facebook updates actually decreases um, comments and interactivity by almost 70%. And so you actually get penalized as an organization by Facebook for manually posting on something on an app like Hootsuite rather than actually going and posting on Facebook directly. So, Allison, I'm wondering, from the metrics that you're analyzing right now, uh, what are you mm -hmm. seeing in terms of the true uh, value of Facebook to nonprofit organizations right now? Sure. Um, I definitely think it's still incredibly valuable. I think that nonprofits just really need to be focusing on really fostering good conversations on Facebook and, you know, and across all social media, frankly. Um, you know, sharing really interesting resources, posing questions, and really treating it as a community and not as a way just to promote, you know, press releases or, or studies and, and treating it more as a public relations tool that some nonprofits do and that we really need to be focusing on, on community and putting out really engaging content. Um, and then, of course, you know, also making sure that we're not, you know, using these tools like Hootsuite to, um, to, to repost stuff that you're posting on Twitter and then automatically reposting it on, um, on Facebook. We really want to be creating content um, for the different social networks in very different ways. So, so I think, Allison, bottom line, what you're saying is if you want to be engaged in social networking, you need to be social not just view it as a board, exactly right, as an engagement tool. Uh, Allison Capen from Frog Loop uh, Blog over at Care2, thank you for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Take care. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, on page one news, comes to us from the Chronicle of Philanthropy. Over at the Chronicle of Philanthropy, you can learn all about 
uh, one of the social media campaigns that they are honoring uh, in their publication, and this is uh, Epic Change. Uh, this is an organization that can be found at Twitter handle at Epic Change. And in this uh, case study that you can read about over in the radio links today, they raised $16,910 for a campaign with a Mother's Day theme. Read all about the case study from the Chronicle of Philanthropy over at tedhart.com. Click on radio link. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach uh, News, uh, it's my pleasure uh, to welcome here on uh, page one, uh, Ken Berger, President and Chief Executive Officer over at Charity Navigator. Uh, Ken, welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach. Thank you. Ken, it's great to have you here on the Nonprofit Coach. News that you folks are making over at Charity Navigator is your launch of your new rating system. Uh, so tell us a little bit about why the change and what does this bring to the market? Well, you know, we have been uh, for a while wanting to make some uh, revamp and change to our rating system uh, for a variety of reasons. One is that we've always believed that <clears throat> what we had traditionally looked at, the finances of the charities, is one dimension of what needs to be considered to be a, a wise charitable giver or social investor. And so uh, a, a unique opportunity afforded itself to us when the IRS revised its, uh, its reporting forms and for the first time really began to cover matters that go beyond finance in a much deeper way. Uh, and we're calling this second dimension that we've added, much of it coming from that form and then also from the website, calling it looking at questions of accountability and transparency. More precisely, it's governance practices, ethical best practices, and how open the organization is with information to its stakeholders. And so this is the first time in almost 10 years that we've had a really major change like this. This new dimension to our rating system uh, is uh, weighted at fully 50% of the score for the charities we evaluate, and roughly half of the charities uh, got a change in their score as a result of this new component to our rating system. Yeah, about 30% of the charities got an in improvement in their score. About 19% had a decrease in their score. Now, one of the uh, criticisms, uh, I think, over the last few years, I'm sure that you've heard of Charity Navigator, is that it was too reliant on the 990 information. Uh, is this an answer to that, and this broadens your review and the type of information that you're looking at in your score? Well, you know, I think that the, the arguments about the 990 are are uh, not entirely uh, considering the reality that I think a lot of the studies that have been done of the 990s are comprehensive within the sector. But the reality is that 94% of the charities in this country are extremely small. They don't even fill out a full uh, IRS 990 form. And they're never going to be uh, evaluated by us. We, we focus on the mid to large size charities. That 1% of charities that garner something on the order of 85% uh, of all the revenues that come into the sector each year. So that's a bit of a red herring argument. Um, on the other hand, we are for the first time going beyond the 990 and beginning to also look at the websites of charities. Here 10 years out from our founding, uh, it's much more pervasive that charities have websites that are somewhat comprehensive in reporting on what they're doing. Well, websites are such an important forward-facing part of a charitable outreach effort. I certainly applaud you in expanding uh, the rating system at Charity Navigator. 
Just a program note uh, for listeners of the Nonprofit Coach. Ken Berger will be back here on the Nonprofit Coach uh, April 17th of next year uh, for a full uh, page two interview here on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, Ken, that will give us an awful lot more time to delve into what is Charity Navigator 2.0. But for today, I want to thank you for announcing this information here on the Nonprofit Coach and joining us here uh, today live from BBCon. Thank you. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, as we start winding down on page one news, we start looking forward to page two. Uh, up on page two, remember you can call in and ask questions at 347-324-3080. We have a little bit more time today, keeping in mind that this is our first ever 90-minute show of the Nonprofit Coach. So we will be uh, going live until 1.30 Eastern. Uh, so get your questions in. You can also join us over in the chat room. I see a number of people in the chat room. You can ask questions there, and you can email me at tedhart at tedhart.com. Next up here on page one news comes to us from Social Media Today. Social Media Today is one, asking the question, how does LinkedIn grow your business? Uh, well, those of you who are frequent listeners of the Nonprofit Coach knows that LinkedIn, is, in our estimation, is the third most important online effort for nonprofit organizations right behind GuideStar and a strong email and website service. So check it out over in the radio links about how LinkedIn can help grow your organization. Next up in the radio links today, you will find from PR Web a new downloadable expert guide on writing great online news releases. Uh, this is a free service that you can download that's available to you over in the radio links today at tedhart.com. Uh, last up here on the nonprofit coach, uh, before we go to page two, uh, is comes to us from Mashable. Uh, listeners of the nonprofit coach knows that Mashable.com is one of our favorite websites, and today they've got excellent information on the launch of Facebook's new subscribe button for following anyone's public updates. Of course. This is excellent news for nonprofit organizations seeking to have their information available to their supporters and subscribers. So read all about that over in the radio links today. Uh, next up here on the Nonprofit Coach is page two. <laughs> particular pleasure for me here on the Nonprofit Coach uh, because uh, page two, I have all of my guests here live with me here at BlackBod's BBCon conference. Uh, first up here on page two uh, is Mark Chardon, who is the president and CEO of BlackBod. Uh, BlackBod is the leading global provider for software services uh, specifically for nonprofit organizations. Uh, Mark, uh, join, uh, before joining BlackBod, uh, in 2005, uh, Mark served as the Chief Financial Officer uh, for the $11 billion Information Worker Business Group at Microsoft. So Mark certainly joined BlackBod with a great deal of uh, internet and technology information. Uh, Mark, welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach. It's great to be here, Ted. Now, Mark, I've got a little bit of a surprise for you. I'm going to play something, uh, and then uh, we're going to let people know why I'm playing this music today. Happy birthday to you. 
what is different internationally, uh, or is it the same? Well, each country has a different um, motivation and style of philanthropy. I mean, it's different in my Fran in France. I'm a, a French American national than it is in the U.S. And um, but it, pretty much everywhere, people want to help neighbors, friends, and they absolutely want to have an impact. And so that, that the, the ability to, to, to fundraise or to understand the context differs, but the motivation in the person doesn't. And that's why we're in 83 countries. We sort of start figuring out country by country or culture by culture what makes philanthropy tick. Yeah, and uh, Mark, you have uh, an incredible, for the nonprofit sector anyway, uh, international footprint. Um, in, in the final moments that we, I have with you, and, it's a, and I will say it's quite a pleasure to have you here on the nonprofit coach. Um, what's the one thing that you, if you had uh, your customers all in front of you, 83 countries, what's the one thing that you think is most underutilized about the power of black bodies? I think that the best practices that are inherent in the system are, are not as broadly used as they could be. So I guess the number one thing I'd say is get trained, learn. I mean, that's why we do BBCon, um, but it's also why we have the, the amount of training we have because there's so much more power and there's so much more opportunity to you know, retain your existing donors or to orient around the, share, the stockhold, you know, that app, the, the person who you're absolutely your supporter and your supporter journey. You know, those two things are absolutely uh, critical, and, and I, I think that the data and the knowledge that's in the system is underutilized in part because I think people uh, um, have sort of cut back on training during, the during a downturn in order, you know, to, to, to get to right. the economic challenge. And, 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 that, and that could be a, a detriment. So here we are on the 30th anniversary of uh, our 30th birthday of, uh, of, of BlackBod, uh, and uh, would it be fair to say that, that your message uh, to, to your uh, stakeholders and, and constituents is, don't get caught up in the software, but learn from each other um, to do good in, throughout the world. Is well, that's that, absolutely that right. Mark's, and uh, Mark, Mark's mantra for Yeah, tech? boy, everybody in this place, for example, 2,000 people together, people learn as much or more from the opportunity to network than they do from the courses. I mean, courses are good, but practical experience is a really great teacher. Well, that's great. Mark, thank you for joining me here on the Nonprofit Coach. I actually get a chance to, uh, to shake your hand, so thank you uh, again for inviting me to do uh, the show live here at BibaCon, and I wish you uh, great success and uh, forward on to your next 30 years. In well, Black it's, it's been you. great here, and thank you very much for having us uh, yeah, and for being here. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, don't forget, uh, yeah, well done. Well done. We've got our audience here. Uh, uh, so uh, don't forget that you uh, can call in uh, to uh, uh, ask questions of our page two experts at 347-324-324. 3080. Uh, you can uh, also uh, ask questions over in the chat room, and you can email me today at tedhart at tedhart.com. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, uh, page two, it is my distinct pleasure, and again, being live here at BBCon, I have the opportunity to welcome Jana Eggers uh, here. She is the Senior Vice President of Product Management and Marketing, so I can hardly wait to get a chance to uh, talk to you about, uh, about products. Uh, but, but beyond sort of uh, some of the, the technical aspects of what her title uh, might uh, suggest to you, uh, Jana is also a frequently invited speaker on topics of technology, business, innovation, and leadership. Uh, her previous speaking engagements uh, are really throughout the world uh, that people uh, uh, ask you to come and speak. Uh, so, Jana, welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, it's, it's great to have you here. Now, I, I want to start off with 
um, this uh, being a, a speaker going around the world and helping uh, people learn uh, how to how to succeed. You, so you get a, a chance to see a lot of nonprofits in a lot of different cultures. Uh, more similar or more dissimilar? You know, it's funny. It's there's a lot of similarities and there's a lot of things that are different. And uh, you know, cultures make things different. But when you're used to seeing the culture and you get over that shock, you realize how many things are are the same. And it's usually just a tweak that you have on it. You know, um, gift aid in in the UK is just a different mechanism for the government giving back, right? right? Just like they give people tax breaks for donating to nonprofits in the U.S. Right. And it's really a very similar idea, it's just the mechanics are different. So when, once you understand some of the, the cultural changes, in your estimation, philanthropy is really the same wherever philanthropy may, may take place? I think so, like okay. I said. It's or, or at least it's growing in, 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 uh, in its acceptance. Um, back to your position, because that, that, there's a lot packed into product management uh, and marketing. Talk to me a little bit uh, about if there is, and, I, and I'm guessing that there isn't, an average Jana Eggers day at Blackbot? <laughs> Definitely not an average Jana day anywhere. <laughs> uh, but I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with the spectrum of talking to clients, understanding what's going on with them. Uh, helping and coaching the team on how do we build better products. Some days it's on the engineering side. I'm an engineer. That's my background. The marketing part came afterwards for me because I love the technology, and in particular, I love getting people excited about technology. Um, so for those for those of us who uh, do not consider ourselves to be technology experts and certainly not engineers, those uh, those of us in the nonprofit sector who who might view ourselves as being a little bit better on the marketing PR sort of people side, is that hard to marry those two because um, you know, while you're very attractive and, and very, very uh, accomplished in, uh, in the work that, that, that you do, um, I think from a lot of people's perspective, engineers are eggheads and they don't really get the, the marketing and people side. So how do you bring those together? I was raised by a banker. Okay. I think that helped a lot. Okay. So he brought me into he was, his actual his specialty was bankruptcy. So I got to see the real human side right. of what happened in business when things didn't go well, and it always gave me a big passion for business. And so I actually when I, I went to school I was math computer science. I went out to Los Alamos and I did research out there. And so I was the egghead that you were talking about. Right. As my husband says, I had a big propeller on my <laughs> beanie cap. Um, and I, I loved what I did out there. It was exciting to me. It was very stimulating. But what it wasn't was business. And so for me, it's a very natural marriage. Okay. But I get what you said, which right. is for most people it isn't. They so, wh so what brings you to be able to, to make that connection? Is it empathy and understanding that there's a lot of apprehension from a lot of folks who don't really live in your world and your in your uh, engineering world about technology to begin with um, so how do you market to people who I guess on some level understand that they need these things but might really prefer to have a day without technology I think it's two things the one thing is understanding their business so I was kind of raised with that so I get when I'm talking to a business person I know how to say, oh, this is the stuff that's interesting to them and important to them, let me translate the technology. I, for a long time, just when people asked what I did, I said I'm a translator. 
right? And then the other side is the empathy, is what you said. I, I like to listen to people. My parents, I was fortunate that my parents raised me to um, believe that there were always people out there that I could learn from. Uh, even though I did well at school, I was always taught, hey, there's someone out there that's better, and not in a mean way, but in a way of go learn from them, go and, find and out is more. And that, is, that, is that sort of with your engineer's hat on or with your, your marketing hat on? Because I, I'm wondering, you know, do, do engineers naturally reach out in that way, uh, or uh, that's more of a marketer's thing? So, so you've yeah. learned to do that over time to benefit the engineering side? I think I just learned that from my parents. Like I said, I'm lucky because they uh, really always encouraged me to go out and ask the questions, and it was never. I'm from the South, so we talk. It's easy for us to talk and ask questions and find out more about people. I've always liked that. So I think that's where, you know, again, I was lucky that I was born with the scientific engineering mind, but the personality that my parents gave me was to learn and figure out what you do. I have a lot of questions for you, oh, 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 but that's not the first Oh, my goodness. Right? Well, you certainly can't ask me questions, uh, but uh, we also we have a question uh, from Paul in Detroit uh, who's asking what comes next for BlackBot technology. Um, pretty broad, but um, it seems like you're the person to give us some insight into what comes next. Paul, I'm so excited. Thank you for asking. So we have a lot going on. So first of all, I think this morning in the keynote, I talked about how we're really reorienting around the customers. So that's the biggest thing. We're getting our engineers out, Mm -hmm. like you said, to go visit customers. And I've had engineers who've been here 20 years that have said, I've never spoken to customers before. You know, I'm learning now what they really mean when I read this spec. And so that's a big exciting point is getting that focus around the customer. The next thing is we're really strengthening our platform. And by that, I mean, to be a more open platform that people can write applications against, that they can integrate into um, better. And that takes a lot of strength in your platform. To interact and play nicely with others, you've got to have really clearly defined boundaries. And so that's another thing that we're doing um, on our technology. But if Paul is an end user, what he really cares about is, but what's the next product? Right, right, exactly. <laughs> what, what, what comes next? We have, a, we have a lot of updates to all of our products. We have um, you know, new versions of our Education Edge product. We have new versions of, FE, of our Financial Edge project, Razor's Edge, CRM. Everything is being updated and refreshed with adding things you know, on CRM. It's things like membership and designation hierarchy that's going into there. On the all-true side, we're focusing on uh, the financial side. So each of the products have a different focus and a different benefit that, that um, Paul might be looking for. So I encourage him to interact with our team and go into depth on the specific things Well, what is, what is the role of, uh, of, of your customer right now? You said you're, you're getting people out. You have engineers that really haven't interacted. So, so how do changes get made right now? I mean, that sounds like that's a new initiative at, at BlackBot. So how do changes get made now, and, and how do you think? Uh, I mean, you wouldn't be doing it if you didn't think there was going to What's the change you're looking for? So um, if you want to go back about nine months, how changes got made is uh, product management would throw what's called an MRD or marketing requirements doc over a wall, kind of like that one there, (laughs) right? And someone would catch it and they would try and interpret it, right? Someone who was an engineer would try and interpret it and they would code that and then they would throw code back over the wall and hope that it worked. And um, so what we're doing is knocking down that wall so that product managers and engineers and actually user experience people are going out to the customer together. They're all experiencing that customer. Okay, what are they doing? How are they doing it? 
they're doing all of that together and then building the product together. Right. So there's no more of that wall there. It's all a free flow, and it includes the customer in there too. Yeah, you and I both know. I, I, I've you know rarely had a client who wasn't absolutely convinced that they were so unique and special that everything had to be custom made for them. Uh, is that true, or are there common platforms at Blackbot, like Blackbot that really do bring those best practices that help sort of train the marketplace, uh, or does it uh, sort of hamstring the marketplace? You know what's really exciting is there's a huge trend that people actually don't want customized, um, because what they've learned is when they customize, they don't then get the next update, right? So what people are really asking, and I get this more often than not, give me the canned version. I want the canned version. I want to know if those people are doing something better than me and you guys see that and implement that, I want that. I want to know that. So we're getting actually much more push to go towards, you know, canned, which used to be a bad word, and yeah. they're now saying it is a good word. Well, and, and when Mark uh, was here a little bit earlier on, uh, on, on the show today. Uh, he really was putting an emphasis on sort of that, that networking value of, of education and, and, and really sort of you know, sort of put that out as, as Mark's mantra to say this is this is what defines the, the future of, of Blackwood. So that's coming now to the design side as well. Yeah, and and where we're going when you ask then again about you know do people need something? Yeah, they do, but we should handle that with configuration, right? Okay. And and so it's them selecting from a few different things and saying okay. Yeah, my membership is like this, but my ticketing is like this. Because each organization has some tweaks. But so help, our, help our, under, our, our audience understand the difference between uh, configuration and customization. Because they are dramatically different, but for someone who isn't uh, an engineer like Jaina, uh, that could be a concept that could be quite scary. Yeah, think of customization as uh, when you go in, think about a car, and you're, you know, you're a car mechanic, and you go in and finely tune that engine, and you know, I don't know anything about cars, by the way, but you know every piece and how it works together, and if you connect, you know, piece A to piece B, that's going to make the car go faster, or if you use something else, and that, that's really deep customization. Think about configuration as when you go and buy a car, and you go, yeah, I would like those heated seats. Okay. Right? And I want that wood paneling on my dashboard or carbon fiber instead. And I want the sports package. Okay. Right? That's so, configuration. So, so, so Blackbaud leather seats mm -hmm. is, is really the, what customers should be looking for in terms of making the software their own as opposed to building a new car. Yeah. Okay. And what that gets them is the ability to get the updates uh, and now to learn from others because they have a, a common platform. And, and that's, that's what makes Blackboard where you should be? Yeah, another example that I gave someone the other day when we talked about it is I said, you know, um, sometimes we give people a, a box of 500,000 Lego blocks, and what they really want is six Duplos, <laughs> right? So putting people, putting things in bigger blocks that people can just say, oh, yeah, that, not oh, it has to be this piece and this piece, and did that even come from this set? You know, yeah. helping them put it together. Now, how, how do the various offerings of, of Blackbaud uh, come together? Because now, now I understand uh, that customization uh, is, 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 is not, you know, we're, we're not looking to rebuild the car. What we're looking to do is, is just to customize 
the details not, not to uh, make it unique to your organization. But then you have different products. Um, and so how do those work together or they don't work together? There's e-tapestry and there's, there's BlackBot and there's internet services. And for someone who doesn't understand all this, again, I, I always try to help people understand what do you actually need or is there a starting point that you can grow towards? How, how do you view that? This is why we have awesome salespeople, because okay. what they would do is interview you and ask you the questions to figure out which product you should go to. And that's a hard question. And one of the things I talked about in the keynote is one, something we need to help you with is identify the right product. Right. And we need to do a better job at that ourselves. And part of that is learning how to interview you and then guiding you to the right product. And some products do integrate and some don't. They shouldn't. It doesn't make sense. Right. Um, and we're working on making our products integrate better as well. So things that are built on our, our, our platform do interoperate well on our Infinity platform do interoperate well, but those don't necessarily need to interoperate with eTapestry. Right, right. So, let's, so do, you, do you support uh, sort of the BlackBot home system and eTapestry and these other systems, or are you resident on one particular platform? All of products. All of the products. Okay, yeah, re engineering and product management. Okay, and so, experience. so having so many different products, obviously, as you said, salespeople interview you. They they come up with with a recommendation. But before I even get to a salesperson, because that for a lot of folks that can be very scary. Like I don't even want to surface my name because I don't know enough, and I don't I don't want to be bombarded. I don't want to feel like I'm pressured. Um, what do you say to that person? Understand. I, we have really nice salespeople, and I'll tell you that a lot, a lot of our sales folks come from the industry. A lot of the people at BlackBot come from the industry, so they really do understand. But I, I get it. We're working on more self-service, so that you can come in. One of the points of the um, customer experience that I look at is identify, try, buy, and thrive. Okay. So Say that again. Identify, try, buy, and thrive. But, but is, is, so is that possible? Um, I mean, because I think for, for, a lot, for a lot of charities, they view that they have to buy first. No. Okay. No, we so, have a free trial for um, eTapestry, for example. Okay. Tell me about the free trial of eTapestry. You can just go on to the eTapestry website, and you can uh, look, you know, help. So you're self-identifying in that case, and you go in and sign up, and we actually allow you, you can import your own data and start playing around with it. You can use sample data, which we have. If you don't want to import your own data, we also have sample data. And you can go in and try it yourself. And we want to move more towards that. You know, you can try it without, if you're afraid of us, I hope you aren't. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're afraid, that's totally cool. What's, what's one of the, the, the most apprehensive uh, things that you, you deal with, and I'm guessing from the marketing side? Um, when you're trying to sell BlackBot products? What, what, is there a common theme or is it sort of all over the board? I mean, why are people apprehensive? Most apprehensive actually is usually when they've started and some to what Mark said, which is they haven't gone in and learned the best practices and then they get stuck and that's what makes people apprehensive. I think on the buying side, it's just all the questions, you know. It's like, well, am I forgetting to ask something, you know. And that's where, again, I feel like a, a qualified salesperson, someone that's good, I get that people don't want the high pressure, but someone that's good that walks them through and asks them the questions, and we're probably going to ask you a few questions that you don't think of. So uh, to the questions that, that you ask 
um, when, when you're trying to position uh, someone. What are some of the questions that, that the listeners of the Nonprofit Coach could think of ahead of time and, and kind of get themselves prepared for? Um, because I, I think, again, for a lot of folks who are apprehensive of technology, I don't think they're apprehensive of Blackboard yeah. any more than they are apprehensive of anyone else. I think that there, there is a sense that I, I have to be an expert in this because my boss expects me to be an expert in this, but I'm not. So how can you smooth that path so that my anxiety level goes down? So first of all, I'd say no one has to be an expert in it, promise you. I'm, I'm a technologist from the beginning, and, um, you know, I'm not an expert. So I would say stop putting that pressure on yourself, okay. and that's going to allow well, you to take my, a breath. Well, but maybe I'm not putting the pressure on myself, <laughs> but my boss is putting it on me. So what, what's the pushback there? <laughs> So I would say, you know, learn what you can. There's a lot of great resources out there. You're a terrific resource, right? right? You come and listen to a show like this, learn a little bit more. You call the salespeople, ask different salespeople, right? Not just at Blackbot, but, but go and talk to um, some other people that serve the industry. You're going to learn a lot through that process because what they ask you, you're then going to learn, oh, is that important to my organization or not? So so part of, part of your suggestion is to immerse yourself in the, the various offerings um, before you jump in with both feet. In other words, get to a comfort level that, that you're then ready to engage. Come to a conference like okay. ours, right? So that's we, part of why BBCon exists. Yeah. Is it, it, so it's not a sales conference. It's an opportunity for people to learn and explore. Exactly. Okay. Lots of exploration. And a lot of the sessions don't even cover our products. They're, they're about things that are facing the industry, you know, one of the ones that I went into this morning was using the back office as a strategic asset for your nonprofit. That wasn't about our product. None of our products was mentioned in it. Right. And, you know, got feedback there about how people said, wow, what she said was really on. Right. Helen Merman from the um, uh, Brookings Institute there. And, you know, people around the room were saying, oh, this is going to help me. This is, you know, a lot of things that she said are questions so I would ask. Does that sort of disarm people a little bit from their apprehension when you say things like that and they don't expect you, uh, because you work for Blackbaud, um, that they sort of expect you to be selling the product and they don't expect you to necessarily come at it from an education point of view? I guess so, but I found that I want great users of my product. I don't want someone who's been sold to, okay. right, and believe something that's not true right. or, you know, listen with happy years, right? right. But, I th but I think that's a, uh, that's a positioning that, uh, that feels very different, or, or at least having you say that sounds very different for a lot of folks who are trialing and testing, but getting a lot of pressure internally that we need answers, we need reports, we need to, to, to get more donations, and they almost expect the, the, the software to do it. Like, you know, I, I, I have clients that, that I almost feel like as they're sitting in front of me, what they just want to scream is, what do I have to buy? Just tell me what to buy, where do I plug it in, and, and the money starts, starts coming in. Do you feel that that's a disarming opportunity to say, wait a minute, let's talk about you first, let's talk about the education first? disarming, but I think it's the right place to start, right? Okay. So if I don't understand you, I can't recommend which software. And we have a lot of them. We have several CRM systems. Okay. But I have to know more about you. More about you to know where to go. Where, that yeah. I would recommend. Just a reminder for listeners of the Nonprofit Coach, you can call in 
to ask a question. Uh, our page two expert uh, right now is Jana Eggers, and she's available to you at 347-324-3080. And Jana, we do have our, our first caller. You're here live on the Nonprofit Coach. Go ahead, caller. Hi, my name is Brittany, and I'm from Seattle. Um, I listen to Mr. Hart's show every week, and I'm following along. I'm, I've heard of BlackBot. I've heard good things, but I'm not quite positive on what it is and what you know what your, what's your focus? What is BlackBot? That's a really good question. I mean, we sort of jumped in uh, maybe a little bit too far down the road because we're here at BlackBot, we're at BBCon. Uh, but for a lot of our listeners, they've heard of you. You have sort of a big name. But what is BlackBot? Yeah, that's such a great question. Thanks for calling, Brittany. So um, fundraising is is really where actually we started with a school system, but our our flagship product that really brought us into the market was a fundraising solution. So it's for de development offices um, in schools, fundraising offices in nonprofits, and it's all types of fundraising. It's major gifts, it could be um, endowments, it can be um, plan giving, it can be peer-to-peer uh, -peer fundraising, so it can be events. We also help you manage the events too. We have online offerings. We um, back that up with the financial side. What all have I forgotten? Yeah. <laughs> analytics. I forgot analytics in there. We do analytics services as well as analytics products. Um, we do things like um, a data enrichment services so we can take your database and we can add things like emails and phone numbers and um, correct addresses to it. So we have a really large um, array of products, uh, about over 80 different products that we offer. But really at the core, it's pretty much what um, at the heart of the operations of what a nonprofit does, which, you know, fundraising, delivering on their mission, and the financials that are behind it. Terrific. We're going to just take a, a small station break uh, and uh, have a little bit of a, a notice here uh, from Google, so take a listen. Every day, millions of people are online, many of whom want to help, volunteer, and donate to a good cause. Nonprofit organizations can use many Google tools to reach potential donors around the world and raise more money. And as an approved nonprofit, it doesn't cost a thing. It's all free. Google Grants helps you promote your website with free advertising on Google.com through the AdWords program. With Google AdWords, you create ads and choose words or phrases related to your nonprofit organization. When people search on Google using one of your phrases, your ad will appear next to the Google search results under the Sponsored Links section. AdWords allows you to target certain geographic areas, dates, and times of day for your ads to appear. YouTube for Nonprofits is another tool that can boost donations to your organization. The program offers a number of perks that get your message out there and drive viewers to take action and donate. You can list your organization on YouTube's nonprofit channel and add call to action overlays on your videos to drive viewers to donate. Need help analyzing your website traffic and marketing effectiveness? Google Analytics is a free tool that will give you rich insight and help you increase the number of people that visit and donate to your site. Google Analytics can be invaluable to many people in your organization, such as development directors, marketing staff, and your web team. There are many other tools that can help you reach more donors and raise funds, like Google Checkout, where you can process credit card donations with no transaction fee, Google Sites to create a free website, and Website Optimizer, where you can figure out the best landing pages to turn site visitors into donors. To get started, apply for Google for Nonprofits today. 
We're back here on uh, the nonprofit coach here uh, with uh, Jana Eggers, um, who, uh, I, as I've learned as I'm talking to her, uh, has the supernatural powers of bringing together uh, engineering and uh, and marketing, uh, which is obviously how you've uh, how you've gotten this uh, uh, this position. But I wanted to talk about the uh, the international flavor of your work and so many platforms. You just launched uh, you know, talked about so many different uh, platforms. All of those are available internationally, or some of them are more popular internationally. Give me a sense of this international footprint that, that you support. Yeah, some some are more popular, some are not offered. Um, we're working on expanding what we have offered internationally. We're mainly English language, although there's a lot of people that use our software. The software's in the English language, but it supports having other languages in it, which is kind of cool to see, right? You right. see your software and then all these different languages popping up in it, which is a lot of fun. So um, we're working on expanding. I think Mark mentioned how important international is to us. It's uh, one of the reasons I joined. I love international. I've been involved in international in almost every role that I've had. So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun to make sure that we're really enabling our products to be international. I've got a product manager that's focused on it and also focused on bringing ideas from, from other countries here. Remember we were just talking about sharing best practices. Exactly. There's things that we can learn. You know, a lot of people from don't realize. cultures, yeah. Starbucks, whether you like it or not, the idea came and that powerhouse came from the cafes of Italy. Right, right, exactly. So we can learn from, uh, from other cultures. Everything doesn't have to be... Uh, American and, and one of the ways that I know that Blackbot is so supportive of that, and this is an opportunity for me to thank you and uh, and your colleagues, is I'm involved uh, in a consortium of groups that work on Digital Leap uh, in Toronto each year, and that's been a hugely successful technology conference. Certainly not on the size of BBCon, uh, but certainly bringing people together for technology. Blackbot's been a sponsor uh, for the last couple of years, and that's been very very uh, important as we look forward to. Uh, the Digital Leap Conference in Toronto uh, next year. Um, where does the Canadian market, because the Canadian market, my guess is, and correct me if I'm wrong, is your second largest uh, uh, market overall for all of your, your, your products. Yes. Um, that being the case, where does Canada fit in the overall, or are you looking beyond North America at this point? Oh, it's both. I mean, we're looking at Fana. I was just talking with a, a consultant here at BBCon who's from Canada that said, I want to make sure you're getting enough can Canadian customers in there, which is exciting for us and right. we're always interested. Um, we want people from wherever, so you can actually go to um, slash discovery and um, learn about how we do our discovery, needs discovery for okay. developing products, and put in your information anywhere in the world and sign up, and we'll, we'll be interested in talking to you. So. Yeah. I, I find uh, overall as a percentage, and I, I don't know if you, uh, that uh, the Canadians, and I think maybe it's because of the expanse of their co country, or maybe I don't really know the answer to that, tend, tend to understand technology of this sort innately more than Americans. Americans can learn it and can in integrate it, but Canadians tend to own it and, and really make it their own. Do you find that there's, there, there's much difference from, from country to country in terms of the expectations of input uh, to your effort, being that you're now pulling all those together, or do you just hear from lots of people, lots of places, and they're 
there isn't one group that you know what I'm asking. No. Is, oh yeah, yeah, no, I was laughing because I, um, I before BlackBot, I was the CEO of a German company. Okay. And um, well, and Germans ask fewer questions. Germans are very yeah, very a little um, bit more reserved. Yeah, yeah. and they're yeah. very suspicious. Right. If you ask them questions, so but I will tell you that in beer gardens. You can actually take software prototypes around in beer gardens and show it, and they'll give you feedback. Oh, see now, this so is now see? people want to start, <laughs> sign up for Blackbaud Germany uh, because you do your best for business in uh, in beer gardens. Well, that's something I hadn't learned uh, before. But uh, Dana, thank you so much for joining me here on the Nonprofit Coach. You've been a wealth of information and just a pleasure to uh, speak with today. Thank you so much. You've been a terrific interviewer. Thank just you. Just wrap it up here um, in terms of your work. Just give us, uh, I, I you know, sort of found the, uh, the, the Marc Chardon uh, mantra was all about education. Um, what defines your work going forward from BBCon? Uh, I want people, I want our customers to be able to say, because of BlackBaud, I spend more time on my mission. There you go. That's a great mantra. Thank you so much for joining us here uh, on the Nonprofit Coach. Dana, that's great. Everybody, one, wonderful, wonderful job here. We're going to take uh, just a, a, a quick uh, station break here for our sponsor's message. You won't be surprised, but I will share my pleasure that Blackboard is a sponsor of the Nonprofit Coach uh, uh, all this month. And uh, as Blackboard being our sponsor, I want to share with you that they're asking the question, do you want to raise more money? Well, Blackboard can help. Blackboard is one solution from the world's leading provider of fundraising and CRM software for nonprofit organizations. With Blackboard, you can raise more money both online and offline with their very helpful business fundraising best practices. But what really impresses me is their newest innovation, the giving score, uh, which helps you find and focus your very best uh, donors. So contact your, your donors, use the integrated e-marketing and social media uh, tools uh, for, from, that are available from Blackboard. Thank you, Blackboard, for sponsoring the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show. We're going to head right back to the show. <laughs> Uh, Blackbaud does have a very special message for you, which has been highlighted in yellow, and that's available to you in the radio links today at tedhart.com. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, on this very special expanded edition of the Nonprofit Coach, as we go into our next half hour of the Nonprofit Coach here live at BBCon in Washington, D.C., it is my pleasure to welcome Allison Van Dies and Carla Capers. Allison Van Dies is a senior product marketing manager. Uh, she has been a marketing professional for more than a decade. Uh, over the course of her career, uh, she has made the transition from marketing artists, which I can't wait to hear more about, to marketing scientists. And I'm starting to see a trend here at Blackboard that we want to bring the marketing and the scientists and the artists all together and learn from each other by uncovering ways to measure the impact of marketing uh, in organizations that she has served. Uh, Carla Capers, and this is what's really interesting about this next half hour here on the Nonprofit Coach, is the online director of Union of Concerned Scientists. Uh, these two ladies uh, have worked together and 
presented here at BBCon today. Uh, welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach, Allison and Carla. Thank you. Thanks. It's great to have you here, and I'm, I'm going to uh, actually ask each of you to, to speak separately, then I want to really get into what you shared here at BBCon today. Uh, I'm actually going to start with uh, Carla, um, since we've had enough black black people for, <laughs> for a few moments. Um, uh, Carla, thank you for being here on the non Nonprofit Coach as an online a marketing director uh, for your organization, a very impressive organization, Union of Concerned Scientists. Um, tell us about your work and where technology fits in your work because you're a customer of BlackBlock, right? Yeah. Go ahead. So I oversee all of our online organizing and fundraising and marketing work. Um, and so a lot of the, a lot of what I do is use the, the tools that we have to get our message out to people in lots of different ways. Um, and so what Allison and I have been talking about a lot at the conference is multi-channel marketing. So how we can um, effectively communicate with people via email, via mail, via phone, via social networking sites, um, and get out a consistent message and engage them in ways that, um, that they want to be engaged. What I'm sharing with, uh, with, with my listeners and, and with my clients, I think what really defines 2012 as we, as we look forward is not, not only multi-channel but integrated. How big of a challenge is that for your organization, and is it insurmountable for the average charity? It's definitely not insurmountable. I actually think it, sometimes it's easier for smaller organizations. So for instance, uh, I am technically split 50-50 between our communications department and our fundraising development department, um, which actually is an asset because it means that I sort of have my fingers on both what we're sending out to activists and what we're sending out in the mail or talking to our donors about on the phone or in personal meetings. Um, so it really helps us make sure that we're, that we're communicating a consistent message and that we're talking about the most important issues with people um, in, in every way that they're being talked to. One of the messages that, that I, I, I got from the CEO of BlackBot and, uh, and, and then uh, from, uh, from Jaina uh, as well is, is I'm starting to see a pattern that are the days of a specialist really gone? Do we, do we have to have multiple skills uh, to be able to uh, succeed. I'm going to turn to Allison uh, on this because you're an artist and a scientist. Um, I, you know, I learned about the superhuman uh, skills uh, that Jaina brings to, uh, to her position. Um, and it seems that this is, this is a theme that, 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 that's coming about from, from the show today, uh, is that it does take multiple skills. The sort of blinders on and this is what I do doesn't serve the day. Um, Allison, welcome. And, uh, Thanks. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, so when I describe myself as an artist transitioning to scientist, um, I think it does relate a lot to the change in fundraising. So for me, as a career marketer, I started with Photoshop, and I started with putting together brochures and advertisements that I thought were attractive and would get attention. But before it long... your age a little bit, because you said <laughs> you, you didn't say that you started by cutting things out and pasting them together in, in a collage. But I also so didn't say it started in email, started, so I'm not that young. So you did start electronically. Okay, right. So, go ahead. But so as time goes on, uh, data becomes extremely important to a marketer. You can't just rely on what you think looks nice. Um, you have to test it and you have to get feedback. You have to look at your segments and figure out what exact message would work for each individual segment. Same thing's true for fundraising. For so long it was uh, relationships and it was all about the feeling and the way that you could talk to someone about your mission. But as more and more nonprofits have come and as more and more communication channels have opened, it's important that 
fundraisers have taken the next step into using data, using technology to share their message and not just rely on you know, the, the warm, fuzzy heartstrings. So are you saying that, that uh, the BlackBot data, uh, the, the systems that are available through, uh, through BlackBot are more than fundraising? Definitely, yes. Fundraising is um, what we want people to be able to do, but um, fundraising requires great marketing. It requires great stewardship. So there's so many other facets that you have to be able to manage to be an effective fundraiser. Right. Uh, 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 Carla, um, back to this, uh, this concept of data being used outside of fundraising, because I think for the, for the average uh, charity using software of some sort, it does kind of reside in some back office, and, and maybe there's one or two people who understand it, everybody else kind of comes and pays homage to it and begs and pleads for, for some, uh, some reports or from, from some data. Um, but it, it seems that to succeed today, that model simply can't work. Yeah, we use data, we use data for pretty much everything these days. Um, and, and I always feel like there's so much more we could be doing. Um, but, you know, for instance, a real solid instance, um, we're an advocacy organization, so we do a, we do a lot of, uh, we send a lot of action alerts out to our activists. We have a, an activist list of about 350,000 people. Um, and we can use those action alerts to, to look at what topics are resonating with people, and then we can, we can build off that to build fundraising appeals around those topics. So if it seems like people aren't particularly interested in a certain topic, that's not what we're going to use for our fundraising message. So, so the way that people interact with you helps guide your future messages as opposed to time to send out the email, time to send out the email, everybody time to respond. Right. So, so it's really that customization and learning uh, patterns. Are you finding um, in, in your particular approach uh, email fatigue? We haven't, actually. I mean, we, you know, we monitor unsubscribe rates pretty closely. Um, and what, what we this actually came up as, as a question in the, in the session yesterday. What we've actually found is when we don't talk to people enough via email, they tend to um, be less interactive with us. Okay. So it's important that we be communicating with them regularly. Otherwise, they're not going to be as involved. Allison, um, since uh, Carla brought up, you folks have already spoken here uh, at BBCon. So uh, scores and hundreds of people here have already benefited from uh, from your wisdom. For those who can't be here at BBCon, what were some of the themes of your presentation uh, today that you can share with my audience? Sure. We were speaking about uh, multi-channel marketing and trying to decide if it was magic or myth for organizations. And uh, much of what I started with in the session was based on work done by our target analytics division. They do an enormous study every year um, since 2007. This past study um, incorporated $1.15 billion worth of gifts. And they're able to reveal trends in uh, online and offline and multi-channel giving. So some of the things we shared is uh, while 79% of donations are still coming in through direct mail, so by far and away still an area you must invest as a nonprofit, 16% uh, of new donors come in online. And uh, online donors are younger and have higher incomes and give larger gifts with their first gift. So very important growth area that nonprofits need to focus Allison, on. for the, the uh, uh, Union of Concerned Scientists, what is the balance between online and offline for you in terms of uh, not giving up on direct mail, but direct mail is changing? What, what, what's the balance for you? It's very similar to what Alice was saying. So uh, I think our online fundraising probably makes up uh, just under 7% of our overall annual income, but 40% of our new donors last year came in through the Internet. So, so a lot of what's happening online right now is about the future. Mm -hmm. it's, it's about building those relationships 
that are going to bear fruit. They're bearing some right now, but that instant gratification of, you know, as I often share, and, and I'll be uh, uh, lecturing here at BBCon this afternoon, and one of the things that I often share with people is I Facebook, therefore I fundraise, is not a true statement. <laughs> but, but the question is why, and, it, and it's really about relationships over quick money. Isn't that, isn't that what we're talking about? Yeah, and as any, any you know, great fundraiser will tell you, it's always about the relationship, and that these are just new ways to build relationships with your, with your supporters. Absolutely, but, but Allison, haven't we sort of lost that somehow in the translation of technology? I, I find that, because you're absolutely uh, right, Carla, and a good fundraiser knows that at its core. But I think that for a lot of folks who uh, maybe haven't had baptism by fire, haven't necessarily grown up with traditional fundraising, I almost feel that online and e-fundraising, if you will, um, still has that sense of magic mm -hmm. when we know it doesn't. So how do we bridge that? Well, I think you're right that in the kind of scramble to adopt the next new technology, sometimes the artistic lessons do get lost, and it's very important to uh, think about segmentation in that, in that area. So when you're thinking about how you're trying to communicate with people on Facebook, you need to think about who you're trying to communicate ah, so with. Se so segmentation becomes part of the success strategy mm -hmm. here. It's not every message to every person on your file. Right. Tell me more about that. Well, one of the things the study also revealed is that people that give through a variety of channels, VW, we believe that means they're communicated with through a variety of channels, are worth more to an organization over time. So to me, that says you, as you build your donor file, as you communicate with them through social media, through email, through direct mail, your message continues to be refined for each of those segments, and it pays off dividends. It makes the dollars go up. I'm going to throw this out to both of you because you brought up uh, uh, what I consider to be one of the, the most important uh, data sets that come out each year, and that is that target analytics. Uh, and in this case, I wanted to ask you to reflect on something from the 2011 donor-centric internet and multi-channel giving benchmark report. <laughs> and in this, I think that in this, where is the balance in this? Because what part of the executive findings here are that Online acquired donors tend to give much larger gifts than male acquired donors. Mm -hmm. However, online acquired donors have a much higher, uh, uh, have a, a, a lower retention rate than those who give offline. So, is this generational, or is this one of the pitfalls of online? Well, as the study's gone on, year from 2007 to to now, that number has improved. So it's still a slightly less retention rate than a direct mail donor, but it's catching up. It's catching up. And I think... Um, so timing here. It's, it's the, the new technologies showed more propensity for lower retention, but we're actually seeing that subside and they're now becoming... So As people integrate those channels and as they figure out that, um, and Carla can speak to this, as, as they get somebody on their email list, they make that gift, then how do they pull them into the direct mail channels and some of the more traditional ways that they is, interact? Is it because we're using it more or, or is it because the donor population is maturing in the use of these tools? Both. Is it both? <laughs> it could be both. I mean, one of the things that I love about participating in the target study is that there's a chance for the, the groups that participated to get together and discuss the results. And that, I find, is, is really interesting. If you really get to sit down and have these, these conversations, why do we think these numbers, what, you know, what are these numbers telling us and why do we think it is this way? Um, and I think a lot of what we talked about this last time was how do we increase that retention rate? How do we get our, how do we build a, a, a closer relationship with those online donors and 
them to, to renew. And, and that's so interesting that you say that because it makes me wonder when you, as a strategist, on the payroll, uh, you know, ex expected to produce uh, for the Union of Concerned Scientists, right now, today, where are you putting your emphasis as you're trying to build that retention? Are, are you investing more and putting more in the online services, or are you investing more in offline? What, is there a balance shift taking place? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I would say for us, we're still investing in both areas, uh, and we're shifting more online. And I think so, so you're seeing a, a shifting more online. Mm -hmm. so, so I'm going to ask you, and we, we might need the, the superhuman uh, skills of Gina back here, but uh, I'm going to I'm going to ask uh, I'm going to ask you to predict the future here because um, uh, Allison, you just said that while the study shows, and, and I have it right here, it says online acquired donors tend to have a slightly lower retention rate than male acquired donors, but what you're saying is that gap used to be bigger, right. it's closing. My question to you is, do we see the future being going the other way? That male acquired will, that, that, that we'll see a shift, is that, is that ball moving down the field fast? I believe it is, um, and a lot of that has to do with the incentive to keep those online donors because what the study also revealed is an online donor that gives through various channels and stays on file is worth more than a direct mail donor that stays on file. So tell organizations are going to be... Tell, tell um, me more about that long-term value. Sure. Um, an, a donor that uh, gives a $62 first-time gift on, uh, via online will eventually be worth upwards of $200 um, over the four years that we looked at them in the study. A direct mail donor that started at $32 comes in around 90 So it's uh, two and a half times, I believe, is what we found, um, an online donor that switches channels and stays loyal to an organization. So with that kind of incentive, I think organizations are going to continue to work very hard to integrate their channels and keep people uh, not only engaged and not only returning, but keep communicating with them in a variety of ways. Ladies, we have a, 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 an email question, and, and I know you're going to love to sink your teeth into this question. Uh, Della uh, from Atlanta is asking, yeah, but aren't these just younger donors, and what about my older donors? Well, I think it's critical that you continue to communicate with your supporters the way they want to be communicated with. Mm -hmm. So if, uh, if you have an older donor base that's uh, really responsive to mail, you got to keep mailing them. What works online? For fundraising? <laughs> um, what works for you? I think it depends a lot on the organization. We, I mean, um, it's still, I, I, I know that's sort of a, a very sort of between the eyes kind of question, <laughs> but, but my question is, is deeper is, is it email that's working for you? Is it social media that's working for you? Mm -hmm. What's working online right now? It's email it's that's email. working. So email is still king. That's mm -hmm. really where the engagement is. Why do you think that is? Um, well, to hop in, I mean, what we see is um, website best practices. This is Allison so, for those on, yes. on the radio. So, Allison, go ahead. So, email is very effective because it allows you to drive people back to your website, and if people are really nailing the experience on the website, that translates into results. So, having a very strong call to action, having uh, content that is very directly related to what they got in that email. Um, and enabling them to look around for additional information and make them feel a little more secure and about the power of the website. Isn't yes. it? I mean, those who are uh, regular listeners of the Nonprofit Coach uh, knows that in the six pillars of success that we talk about uh, here on the show, the number one pillar is a well-designed website mm -hmm. with a good call to action. That's what you're saying is it doesn't matter how good you get at this. 
that if you're driving traffic back to a poorly designed website that isn't engaging, right. then you're going to lose you're going to lose part of your your audience or maybe all of your audience. Right. You'll lose those older donors because they won't feel secure when they don't see that that branding that's very cohesive to them and the the clear fact that it's a, a stable place that they can trust to put their credit card in. And you'll use, lose younger donors when they don't find ways to be interactive, when they don't see video, uh, when they don't see so, ties so to Allison, social media. So what you're saying is is that part of this is meeting expectations, and and what you're saying is expectations are different, maybe different by age. By that lots is. of different demographics or segments. So, so Allison, would you, or uh, Carla, would you agree that in general, and these are these are generalizations, but for our listeners today, that for your older folks, they're looking for that security and information and being able to sort of check you out and have that transparency. And and what Allison is saying is, at the same time, you have to be engaging because you do have your younger donors, who after all will be tomorrow's older donors. So how do you make that balance work? Yeah, I would say generally speaking, you need to know who your target audience is. So the target audience for the Union of Concerned Scientists is not going to be the same target audience for another organization. Um, so we, you know, we really like to test things. So for instance, we have tried using video because a lot of other organizations have found a lot of success with it. It doesn't really resonate with our audience, so we're not investing a lot of time in that in that strategy. That doesn't mean two years down the road we need to test it again. Mm-hmm. Um, but if really scientists like data and right. reports more right, than right, right. Yeah. So, so you really need to know what's going to work for your audience. Yeah, I and mean, that's a that's a very good point, Allison. You're in a in a natural environment for for that. There, there's an expectation that you're going to be data driven, but but what about your artist friends who need money to support you know, you know, the, the humanities are you know oftentimes a, a difficult uh, place, uh, particularly the arts and, and uh, uh, how do they succeed in this marketplace when they might not understand the data themselves? Is there right. something that Blackboard does uh, to to help organizations understand the data that's right in front of them? Well definitely. So we work with sixteen hundred um, organizations websites. So we're able to bring a lot of different best practices from a lot of different sectors. And coming to BBCon is a great way to learn about what's new. But then it goes back to what Carla mentioned, testing. Uh, The beautiful thing about online and the web is you can make adjustments really on the fly. You can find out from day to day who's coming, who's leaving, how long are they staying, what buttons are they pushing. And using that information enables you to respond so much more quickly than you could edit your annual report, you know, it's, it's a much more nimble medium that allows you to uh, do great things. In, uh, in your, your, your session today, um, it, it was, you were asked, uh, do you or uh, mail your donor, what was this, to give your, oh, uh, how, I'm sorry, <laughs> you said I'm never going to read your, your writing and it's, 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 my, it's my fault for not, <laughs> not testing that, but I, I think the question here is how do you get your donors to give their email address so you can communicate with them online? Yeah, we do that a couple different ways. We have a, an end-of-the-year uh, mailing that goes out to all of our donors that ask them to um, update their information with us to make sure we have the most current information on um, Yeah, Is that incentive-based, or is that just, hey, you're good people, update our data? It's, uh, it in, it's in a survey that also asks them a lot of other um, information that isn't necessarily as useful to us, but maybe more engaging to them. Okay, so is the... So it, there's an incentive in that there's a survey, will I get results of that survey or will that be shared with me? It asks some things or? like what issues that we're working on are most important to you in the next year, what's the most important thing for us to be focusing on. Okay. So it's a way for us to, to get them involved and feel like they've got some ownership in the organization, but then it also gives them an opportunity to give us their email address so that we can be in communication. And, with and, and do you find that that's your most successful 
way of gathering uh, email addresses yep. is, is this year end. What other great tips do you, uh, do you see, Allison, um, now that we're coming towards year end? Mm -hmm. um, and for a lot of organizations, you know, what's going to happen at year end is sort of baked in uh, at, this, at, at this point. What can they and should they be considering changing between now and year end to make a difference to their year end totals? Well, there's plenty of time still to put calls to action on every page of your website that asks for an email address. Um, I always coach that when I'm talking about design. You can't know at what point from, from what search engine somebody's going to land on your site. You can't know exactly what will engage them. So offer them many opportunities to give you that email address. And then once you have it, you've already got your year-end appeals figured out and baked. Go ahead and surround those, and Carla's done some of this, with a preface. You know, let them know the direct mail is coming. Um, let them know that they just missed the direct mail. You remind them. Give them a couple of additional touches so that maybe it stands out from everything else in the mailbox. And that makes it much more social, doesn't it, in, in, in terms of, you know, your direct mail isn't sort of, you know, uh, dropped in your lap. It's, it's part of a, a social. Do you feel or do you feel that you're moving towards having more of a dialogue with, with your donors? And, and it's a question obviously uh, for Carla, uh, or is it still sort of episodic fundraising? No, it's absolutely all about engaging them and, and trying to have a conversation. Um, I think if they're getting similar content in the mail, that they're getting on email, if they go to our website, they're going to see the same thing. If they go to our Facebook page, they're going to see the same thing. Um, I think it's important. And, you know, one of the questions that we got yesterday in the session was about, um, is it too much? Are we are we saturating people? Are we asking them too much? And, and you know, what we've seen from the from the from the analysis is that the answer is no. That if, if a donor is, and I, and I tried to think about this for myself as a donor for many to many organizations, if I get something in the mail and via email and I see it on their website, I'm not thinking they asked me three times. I'm thinking this is clearly a really important thing for this organization mm -hmm. right now. Yeah, and, and, and donor, I think one of the things that, that fundraisers make a, a big mistake in uh, is being too insular and thinking about what they want to say as opposed to what their donors need to hear. Um, so is transparency a big issue uh, for charities, and, and what does BlackBot do to help uh, that issue? Well, organizations uh, need to go back to good, sound marketing principles and think about what their value proposition is to the donor. They have to be able to express that when you support the organization, you get back that feeling or that return on your kind of emotional and fiscal investment. So uh, we help obviously manage the, the monies that come in so that you can be a good steward and, and let them know what you spent it to do. But we also help with all the communication tools because um, you know, calling each individual donor would be extremely effective, but probably not practical or, or efficient for most organizations, but you can put that information on your website. Uh, Mark mentioned in the keynote yesterday, uh, if you can measure the impact, the story tells itself, and you can update it daily and weekly and monthly, and the web lets you do that. And, and having those trustworthy tools becomes very, very important. We're going to take uh, just a, a, a short little break here. When we come back, I, I wanted to ask uh, Allison first uh, if you would just reflect on the stability of the tools and how that really does affect the donor's decision to give. Um, and when we come back, um, Carla, I'm going, I'm going to ask you specifically your decision to use BlackBod. Why? We'll be right back. Next 
week, October 11th. Uh, we invite you to listen to one of over 58 podcasts. We will not be live next week. Uh, uh, we'll be closed for uh, the Columbus Day holiday. The week after that, we're right back with a Black Lodge star. On October 18th, Andrew Masawi, who is a global giving expert, will be live here on the Nonprofit Coach, and he will be coming to you live from the International Fundraising Congress in the Netherlands. October 24th, we have uh, Dr. Susan Raymond, who's going to be talking to us about research, evaluation, and planning. Uh, and then on November 1st, we invite you uh, to a big show to talk about big dollars with Linda Lysakowski, who is an expert with Capital Campaign. We're going to go right back to page two and our guest here on the Nonprofit Coach. <laughs> I mean, obviously, we're here at Blackbot. It's easy to say uh, Blackbot is a, is a great provider. I think the evidence is there that Blackbot is a very strong and stable provider. You've got a lot of very happy customers, but why do you have a lot of happy uh, customers? Is it just because they're used to buying your product, or is there something that Blackbot is doing about the strength and security of these issues that doesn't have people lying awake at night? <laughs> well, hopefully so. I mean, uh, as Jana mentioned, we want people to not have to think about technology so they can think about their mission. And going back to the question that you asked of going into the break about security and what might turn somebody off when they visit a website, um, it kind of relates to how Blackboard evolves and tries to help our customers. So when somebody visits a website, these days the tolerance for um, going from one page to a page that feels different, looks different, might make them feel a little suspicious, that disconnected experience, that has, um, people don't have that tolerance anymore really. So Blackbot, over the years of, of working with our internet products, we've made sure to kind of adjust with that. So now even our most basic form um, pages that would sink into another website, we design them to look seamless, to feel, so you have that sense of security. So we listen to the industry these are, these and we respond. These are things that your customers might not necessarily know on their own, but you can bring to the table and say, listen, this could potentially be a problem. We have a solution. Absolutely, yep. All right. Carla, why Blackbot? So we use the Razor's Edge donor database. Um, we've definitely found it's really robust, and it allows it, it allows us. It's a flexible system, which has been important to us. For instance, we work with a lot of scientists, and it allows us to track information like degree, um, specialty, what's their field of expertise, so that if they tell us that they're a botanist, we can talk to them about plant issues. Um, and we've just really found that that's a, a really robust. So back tool. to to what Jana said earlier, this whole this whole notion of being able to customize the package while still being on a common platform is very important to an organization like yours uh, because you have unique needs and of course as, as I said when uh, when Jana was here you know rare is it that there's a charity that doesn't feel that they have uh, very unique needs whether they really do or not they, they do that's uh, why we like working question. with them <laughs> and, and so but that's why your platform's been built the way that it's been built is that there is a lot of built-in uh, customization uh, to that. Over the uh, the last couple of years, um, and, and you've been with Blackbaud uh, for ten years. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, wow, you predate the president. So <laughs> does that uh, does that mean that you're smarter than Mark? I don't think so, but no? hopefully he relies on me. Oh, okay, so he relies <laughs> on you. So you've got a lot of that that institutional knowledge. So you've seen the the changes that the rest of us have really seen mm -hmm. uh, going back to as I, as I mentioned when uh, uh, when Mark was, was here. Um, you know, I, I saw when Bob Stowalski was there before, 
uh, Bob was uh, uh, was was with Blackbaud, um, it was very insular. I mean, it, it, literally, customers would tell stories of you could call and leave a message for service, and they would get back to you when they wanted to. To now being a very forward-facing company uh, that feels very transparent uh, in people's ability to uh, to connect. In the time that you've been with Blackbaud. Uh, how would you characterize, the, I mean, it's almost not the same company, it feels like. In some ways, it's very much the same. The people, the culture, um, the goodness, and the, and the real solid intent of what we're trying to do for the industry is the same. But I think um, the very thing that we're seeing donors expect of nonprofits, our customers expect of us, and that's being more real, being more open, telling like it is, listening, you know, giving those, that dialogue that we were just talking about is just as important for us as a company as it is for every nonprofit. Thank you for that. Um, uh, Carla, I mean, one of the things that I share with my, my, with my audience here is if you want to be in social media, you have to be social. Um, and and that, that sometimes people kind of laugh and chuckle about that. But I think it's one of the biggest hurdles uh, for nonprofits to get over um, because they need the money, they want the money, they want you to just give the money. But actually having a dialogue, actually having feedback can oftentimes be very scary. It sounds like your organization got past that. Um, how? Or, or are there still remnants of that? Is, that? is that sort of an ongoing thing that has to be dealt with? Yeah, I think it's a constant struggle for any organization. I mean, you, as, you, as, as the public face the organization, you want to control the message. Um, and social media is all about not controlling the message. Um, Say that I, again. Say that again, because that's a very important statement that you just made. <laughs> Um, that social media is about not controlling the message, right. that you have to give up a little bit of that control, and that puts people in a really uncomfortable position. But what we've, what we've found time and again is that people, people respond to that. They appreciate it, they see you as, as a real human being, and that gives you a lot more credibility. And that having that open conversation, um, it just further engages your audience. And, and it's challenging, and you have, to, you have to bring, many times there's not uh, stats around that, it's sort of anecdotal evidence, but over time it builds up, and you have to bring that to the people in charge and, and show, show folks that that's really got value. But in, in addition to the anecdotal, though, isn't there, doesn't there have to be some sort of bottom line relationship that you can point to that says, we, we do have donors that are leaving us at, at, at lower, you know, in other words, the retention rate is higher, that, that we are deepening those relationships, or is it far too early to uh, give that kind of credit to social media? No, I think you can. I mean, I think we definitely, sometimes we'll be in donor meetings with, um, with major donors to the organization, and they'll, they'll say, you know, why aren't you doing more on Twitter? Um, you know, why does UCS only have one Twitter account instead of having all of our scientists out there tweeting? Um, and we need to have an answer for that. What is the answer uh, uh, <laughs> to that, Allison? I mean, you're, you're, a, you're a marketing manager. Uh, Blackbaud certainly has at Blackbaud. Mm -hmm. uh, today you have uh, hashtag BBCon. Right. Um, but, and you do have uh, some employees who are active with Twitter and others who are not. Right. Um, strategically, how does that decision get made? We embraced very early on the concept that if you're passionate about it and you have something to say, you should say it, but not to dictate that people should, you know, talk when they have nothing to say, right. um, and not to be too afraid. You know, we, we believe people have to be responsible. So, but, there, um, so there isn't some, some uh, sort of blackboard principle of do it this way. It's literally if you have something to say, um, and it would it be fair to say if you can draw an audience, uh, if people care about what you have to say, then say it. Sure. 
Uh, and if you're not prepared to be social, as, as, uh, uh, as Carla just pointed out, if you're going to be social, you, 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 it can be very scary. But if you're not scared of that, if you've got something to say, that's the principle? That's definitely the principle. You know, being there 10 years, I was part of what maybe many companies went through half a decade ago, which was trying to help CEO, not this CEO, but executives write a blog or, um, you know, certain people that you'd like to have their, their words out there. And uh, it can only go so far. Even if you're sitting and interviewing them and, and helping get those words out, it's not the same as allowing somebody who's just bubbling over with information to have a voice. And I think Blackboard's been great about encouraging employees in every level to share information. Right. So you would advise that of your, of your customers as well as it? If there's a voice, let's get it out there, and uh, if not, let's not fake it. That's right. Because uh, would you agree, Carla, there's no way to fake being social? <laughs> there's not. I, I would say that I think it's important that, that organizations have a, social, have a social media policy or guidelines for their staff because as, as an organization, there are certain things that you may or may not be able to do. So, for instance, we're a 501c3 organization. We have to give our staff guidance about... Um, electioneering and what they can and can't do. Um, and I think generally staff want that. They want the guidance. It's not about saying you can't say X. It's about saying here's, you know, how to engage in this platform. And just uh, we just have a couple minutes left. It's amazing how 90 minutes can fly by when you've got great, uh, uh, great guests. We are live here at uh, BBCon, uh, just uh, wrapping up with uh, Allison Van Dies and Carla Capers. Thank you very much. Yes, here uh, on, on the uh, nonprofit coach. Uh, just as, as you heard, we've got the uh, countdown here for uh, 90 seconds. In just a, a couple of seconds, uh, sum up your best advice for a nonprofit. Uh, invest in the offline still. Don't, don't walk away from it. It's still where most of your revenue is. Invest in online because that's where you're going to get the exciting new growth that you need. And then multi-channel has the highest lifetime value. So really think about how you're incorporating all those channels. Very important. And as a, as a customer of, uh, of BlackRock, uh, would you say is your best advice? I would say really look at the look at the analytics and and, and determine what they're what what is what are your supporters telling you through those statistics and use that to really um, drive the direction of the of your communication. That's great. So use the data to your benefit. We will be live here again on October 18th with Andrew Masawi here on the Nonprofit Coach Global Giving Expert. Thank you for joining us here at Blackboard's conference live from BBCon. Thank you for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.